welcome uh kelly uh this is our (laughs) our first test podcast on um we're gonna try to uh, uh have a conversation on nfts and we're going to basically have a conversation on your nft journey okay and so uh why don't you just briefly introduce yourself this will probably be the only time we do it like this <laughs> uh, my name is kelly miller and i'm a professional musician and i'm living in istanbul and i'm from california and i started on this crypto journey about a year ago and i've been deep diving into nfts and braving the scary waters of this incredibly dense like information crazy uh experience yeah and i thought you um you know we've had conversations before off camera and i thought uh you were super well positioned for one it's like we would you know a year ago we might say a niche part of of the crypto ecosystem but actually it's just expanded and become you know one of the main um like pillars of crypto are like the main, like mainstreaming of the, of the web three, uh, which is NFTs and, and art and uh, whatever that means. And um, I, had, I had recently just sent, uh, I'm going to share it in the discord, but I had recently just sent uh, a interview with uh, that Chris Dixon of Andreessen Horowitz and Naval, do you know that guy? The mm-hmm. philosopher on Twitter, he's uh, founder of AngelList and um, Tim Ferriss, the five-hour workweek guy. Yeah. They had just done uh, like a, a couple hour long uh, podcast, mostly covering NFTs. And so I'm going to, they just came out. So there's so mm-hmm. much uh, to cover, but one interesting thing that Chris Dixon is kind of one of the pioneers in the space. What he was saying is, uh, so they're talking about all the new kinds of NFTs. It's not just like images of apes and it's not just, um, you know, music, but it's actually, <clears throat> he, he was describing NFTs as a object uh, that you can own on the internet and that it can go as far as, um, uh, you know, images, PDFs, books, writings. Um, it can go uh, into, uh, you know, a whole other genre of things. And so I'm sure as we uh, both like learn in this space, we'll start to understand exactly what they mean. But um uh, for this week, we'll just focus on what have you uh, been covering and what have you been learning about NFTs? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I've kind of really dove into the uh, the art side, but then as I started to get more into the space and see the different projects, I kind of started to refine what I felt like was important for me and some people can just think of it as like art collections or um, a lot of them now are creating games. So the NFTs are the characters in the game that you are gonna be able to play as and with. Or- uh, Are you talking about uh, in Axie Infinity? Uh, in like a bunch, a bunch of projects are doing something similar. Like with Axie Infinity, you have the characters and in order to even play the game, you have to buy the NFT character. Yeah, and I saw that it was, 
I saw that it was like two hundred dollars the last time I checked, just to have the, just to have the, the character, right? Yeah, the cheapest ones. Yeah. And then and then the gas fees are crazy. So like I was trying to buy, um, I was trying to buy Arweave the, uh, you know, Filecoin and Arweave. They're like hard drives on the internet, crypto hard drives, and because of those, um, the gas fees were. Uh, you know, $80 for yeah. buying a $25 token. And so I was like, for Axie Infinity, can you buy that stuff using like Matic or something to drop the cost down? How are, how are people doing it? Uh, there are <clears throat> some ways you can switch to Matic or some other, like using MetaMask wallet, you can switch to the different nets the different networks yeah. to buy, but the, the marketplace themselves has to uh, be able to handle that. They have to have that functionality. So Axie Infinity is still straight directly on Ethereum. So if you want to buy a, 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 a whatever a, a, a character to play the game, you have to spend $200 on the character and $80 on the fees to get the character. That's crazy. Yeah. So you because can tell, like, is so high right now. <laughs> you can tell, like, this thing is is so lucrative that even with insane, nearly fifty percent commissions just to get the thing, uh, you know, uh, people are still finding it worth it. And we're talking, like, I was reading that there's hundreds of thousands of people in the Philippines playing this game full time now, mm-hmm. or some percentage of those people. Yeah, the, the gameplay loop is familiar enough to people who played card games, digital card games, and uh, Pokemon style games. So okay. there's it kind of combines the two. Like, uh, so there's different um, attributes to each character, and they have different strengths and weaknesses, and then they battle against each other using like the cards and so it's like a combination of two different types of games in in axie infinity specifically and and then there's a whole there's all the strategies that go along with those kind of games that are implemented in axes as well and what i'm finding is that people some of the biggest games coming out now are kind of following that pokemon battle style play Uh, (laughs) one of the biggest ones is alluvium and okay explain that what is that they just released their gameplay trailer actually uh yesterday Um, and they they're focusing on this whole idea of building the world so it's kind of like an rpg but then you have this battler where you're battling creatures and so you're playing other people and you're battling their creatures. And then they have NPCs as well, like non-playable characters that you can battle and upgrade your characters. And so your characters are the NFTs. So you own them and you own the characters in the game. And so, so you have your main so- character that you play and then you buy like um, sidekicks. Yeah, that are like yeah. AI sidekicks, but you have to buy them and they're actual NFTs. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you've got your main, you've got your property rights for the character that you buy into the game. You build up the character with whatever amounts of uh, you know, status 
based on your fighting ability or whatever. And then you could also literally buy sidekicks. Yeah. And, and what they're planning on doing, like some other games, is you can combine them. So you have multiple copies of the same one. And then you'll be able to combine them using the, the blockchain into some bigger thing that has more power and more strength. Yeah, that was kind of the concept that I think is um, Dixon. I've only gone halfway through that podcast. So like, I don't want to just constantly quote this guy, but like literally he was saying the analogy for NFTs, it's going to be that um, he's like in the real world, if you went to a hotel and they said uh, like in the real world, we own our things. We don't just rent them, but in the internet world, everything is constantly rented and we don't think about it in that concept. So he was saying like, when you go to a hotel, they, you don't have them say, okay, you can't wear whatever clothes you came in with. You wear the clothes we give you, you do your thing at the hotel. And then when you leave, they say, okay, you take those clothes off and, and, and wear different clothes in different locations. And so he was saying that like, when you're in Facebook, you're only all the stuff you built up inside Facebook, for example, that only resides in Facebook. You don't take it with you to Twitter. You don't take it with you to Discord or WhatsApp or all these other places. Mm-hmm. And that that uh, NFTs bring the property rights into the internet. And that's we understand that, okay, inside a game. But then the thing that makes it special uh, uh, is that because it's composable, the other games can incorporate if i'm understanding this correctly the other games can incorporate the nft that was used in axie they can use it in some other meta game yeah yeah like you have the whole profile picture nfts the monkeys and the apes and stuff the board and so, apes and that ape yacht club and all that yeah yeah, yeah. and uh monkey solana has this big one called monkey business and um, what, <laughs> what they're going to do with those is they're going to be able to have that be your avatar, basically. And you can transfer that from thing to thing to thing. And that's how people know you because of like that avatar. And it can be like your main personality. Did you watch the, like your, the Facebook video on their uh, name change? Uh, the, I saw parts of it. Like I saw clips. I saw where they, um, I think Facebook bought this group. Uh, is it Facebook or Apple? They bought Spaces. But they had a, a spaces type of thing where he goes into VR and he's in his uh, residual image avatar where it looks like Zuckerberg and then one guy is like some animal and there were other people like floating around in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I did see some of it, but people were saying that there's like, um, uh, what are they called? Cookies or like like hidden uh, nuggets inside the, that advertisement that uh was showing that there's other things that they're hinting at that people in the know know about yeah yeah I what saw was your that. takeaway what were uh, the things that you were alluding to the biggest thing that i think what made me so excited about that video is they showed how you can take like <clears throat> you can build these digital spaces so like you could go into decentraland or sandbox or any of these virtual reality like land companies and you could buy a piece of land and you could build a space in that like an office or like a hotel or like whatever and you could design it in some special way that was like a waterfall in costa rica or some like space station like they were in 
And that all of that is like an NFT. So the NFT is the land, the NFT is the building, all the individual pieces in that uh, space are NFTs and like could be advertisements or owned by somebody. And then you'd have traffic to that things depending on what the function was. So, so if you put on VR, if like, let's say like for my, the first NFT I bought was my name, like sharecon.eth, right? Mm. And so people can send me money, but you're saying I could have, I can buy a piece of property NFT. Like someone designs like a space for me and I can just buy it or I build my own space and mint it on NFT. Then I send that address to people and say, come meet me at my place. Yeah. Yeah, this like, is like a ways away, but that's they're showing like where this technology. Wow, is going. that's a that's a that's a high end. That's a really cool concept because like if you don't see where it's going, you don't know how to maybe if you want to prepare for it and like where are the opportunities in the space? Like where do you want to spend your time? And you know, like that's kind of the thing that um, one of the takeaways from when I was listening to the the most recent podcast by uh, that Tim Ferriss person was we we're talking about how. Um, it just made me, one thing that occurred to me was I don't play a lot of video games, right? But I do play one game that I got addicted to. One of my history teachers when I was like uh, 13 years old, I think it was like a freshman in high school, he recommended this game called Civilization and it was like Civ 2 or something. And mm -hmm. it was like, he was a history teacher. So he was like, it's there, you know, this game actually has like really good like history lessons and it helps you conceptualize you know the stories or whatever and what was super interesting was so I got into this game and you know 20 years go by and every version of that game I want to play the next version and I'm I'm locked in for decades and it's the only game that uh I like I'm a built-in customer like forever and you you like concepts like that didn't fully resonate with me like when people said like people are like lifelong coca-cola customers like i understand the pavlovian conditioning of you know things like tastes they like lock us in like cigarettes you understand like you have a chemical addiction and like there's like associative addiction or associative like lock-in and um with games because it doesn't it's more ephemeral you don't realize like oh you're locked into to some degree and so uh there's obviously negative things about that but one of the positive things is with nfts is if you are going to be in a kind of path dependent game world that you put all this time in we're talking like you know hundreds of hours over a decade maybe thousands of hours who knows and you want to be able to own that uh your the like work or whatever you put into it because i'm not gonna just randomly switch to i don't know what the you know the competitive games are I think there's like a microsoft version of that right but i'm basically in that system and i would have loved to be able to like you know play with some of the uh, worlds or things that i built when i was 13 years old just for like nostalgic sake that would be super cool like but you can't because of the of the pre-nft world so that makes me think about like oh wow this could be um you know, you could have people who are playing now in their teens or 20s and they want to like revisit or they'll have, um, I don't know what the right word is, but like accumulated things in the virtual world over many years. 
Yeah, yeah, they're definitely going to have that because it's on have the you blockchain had, forever. <laughs> have you had any experience with anything like that? Like right. either music or is there art that you're like in? Right now, there are a bunch of games like that in development. There's actually like a NFT-based strategy game that's coming out uh, probably next year, 2023. No and uh, they are like building a civilization style game. And, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's called Zulana. <laughs> and I've been keeping an eye on that one because they have some big developers and uh, big names from development companies working on that one. Um, and also, like, I have played, there's one game that I'm playing that's on the Immutable X. Uh, network actually imx network okay and it's like a card based game and the way that that works is you play the game and you get the cards the individual cards and then you can fuse the cards together to make more rare ones and then you can sell those on the marketplace uh for ethereum or like there. Wait, you can game. you play the game and you earn cards and are they NFTs at the at the moment you earn them? The I mean the cards right now they're the just, cards are not, but at yeah. the moment of fusion they become NFTs. They become yeah sellable NFTs that you can sell so, on their marketplace. Oh, that's really interesting. What what game is this? It's called uh, Gods Unchained. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, that's super interesting. It's basically like Magic, if you ever played that game. Like Magic the Gathering? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, okay. A lot of, I mean, obviously right now, a lot of the games, they are limited based on the amount that they can send like on the blockchain. So, so I think we're kind of a ways off from some like first-person shooter-like game or some big open world rpg which is kind of what alluvium wants to be they want to be this like call world, of duty like kind of call of duty but oh alluvium is going to be more like uh um no man's sky i think kind of or it's or, so interesting when you think about some of these games as we were talking it made me think like okay i play call of duty with my brothers and cousins and it's a big part of our thanksgiving memories was like we would put two uh big screen tvs next to each other and have like two playstations and have like six or eight person call of duty battles like i loved those uh, yeah. those are awesome right but then so you know I, at the time i was in like college or grad school or something and my like 13 year old cousin Baram, he's playing video games all day so he would he was such a high level player he he would he would just toy with us and he would um uh, like for one game, he would be like, all right, I'm not going to shoot anybody. I'm only going to knife people. And so he would just like come by and like knife everybody. Right. And he would still win and like beat our asses. But what was so funny was um, uh, you can imagine. So he would also like, I think he was able to like have better stuff because he played all the time. Yeah. And, and I know I sound like a real amateur in the gaming world, but like, uh, that's what I remember. But if you think about it, like, let's say, you take Call of Duty character that you've built up 
And then you transport yourself into, uh, if you, on that meta uh, interview uh, where Facebook switched, they were talking about how they're going to bring um, Grand Theft Auto, I think San Andreas or whatever, yeah, into it. Yeah. And I remember in Grand Theft Auto, like they had a but like that the, the gimmick of that game, which really hooked us when I first started playing whatever friends in college, was that you could just like, it wasn't really about the missions. We would just go around doing crazy stuff. Like you could drive in a, you could just like punch random people and like jet. So if you think about, you've got these two worlds. If you take a Call of Duty character and just bring it into uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto, then the analogy in my head would be, it would be like taking an, like a human and putting them on Mars. It's, you're still you, but you're now in an environment with different properties. So your previous, uh, you know, if there's guns and stuff that don't exist, uh, that you think you're going to, that don't exist in the, uh, just, uh, from, that don't exist from Call of Duty into the San Andreas world, you go there, but you're not going to have the same skills and properties is what yeah. I'm kind of thinking. Yeah. And everything would be able to be transported and they might use some, like eventually there's probably going to be games where they use oracles to use real world information to like change the the wow. design of the game or the weather or the time or like it's all going to be key to real world information like chain link yeah well, what are using, the top oracles that, uh, for games well right now a lot of ethereum ones are using chain link um and then the big one for Cardano is Charlie, I think, with the with yeah, the see, at the end. We should do a whole thing just on Cardano, but every all the people I follow on Twitter just keep shit posting on Cardano that it's got all this stuff that nobody uses. And I tend to kind of agree with them because uh I was very bullish on Cardano and maybe they're still, you know, the game's still early, but my enthusiasm for the number two like i always find that these type of markets come in duopolies mm -hmm. and at minimum you're never you're rarely gonna have like one um you know uh in, in industries they always i usually tend to find that uh, most industries at minimum want to have at least two players even if it's not an equal 50 50 it might be 60 40 or something like uber and lyft coke and pepsi you know airlines are you know four or five at a time just because people always need at least one uh, reference point to compare for prices and so I always thought initially I thought it was going to be Cardano and as the number two player because um, you know I, I was very impressed with Hodgkinson's and uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name but uh, then I my um, it shifted to Solana because I thought uh, having used Solana and the speed and utility like so to me Solana is the way it, like that's an actual useful uh, ecosystem. Like uh, to me, yeah. Ethereum has all the people building stuff on it now. But if you don't, um, if things don't happen instantly and cost a fortune, like all these ecosystems need, they need to have people. And if people can't afford to play them, then like, you know, I would be much more bullish on an ecosystem like Solana that can actually uh, handle the volume at low cost. Solana is actually the one that I've spent the most time on and uh, because it's the one with the lowest barrier to entry because yeah. of the price and also like 
be also because of it right now, there's a lot of scams going on with NFT projects on Solana. So you have to be even more careful with how you pick the projects and what you actually are doing in this space. But there's a lot of games being developed. And also Solana uses this programming language called Rust, which okay. is like different than other um, blockchain networks. So it's kind of the people who are used to coding in JavaScript or Python or something, they have to learn Rust and it can, it obviously like they can understand it faster than a noob, but they're going to have to retool all of their ideas based on- I mean, I do it. think that that's like the classic um, reason why uh, platform systems in software, the main barrier to entry, quote unquote, is really the language barrier. It's like, mm -hmm. we can't, I mean, that's, uh, I think um, like React uh, Native or whatever was used to support both the Android and um, Swift or iOS ecosystem because you mm -hmm. could code in one language and then use it for both. But, um, and then with like minor tweaks, but uh, it, there, there's a reason why, um, you know, what is it? What was Nokia's Symbian system just like completely died because they didn't move fast enough. And like in that initial phase, the land grab aspect of software platforms is almost always about, there's a lim the, the ultimate limiting factor on planet earth is how, how many developers do you have? And uh, there's a limited number of developers. And so like the develop where the developers go is where the, like they can only learn a couple of languages. They can't spread their efforts across, you know, 50 languages. So they're usually going to learn a few max and yeah. then support in those languages, support a couple, you know? So that's why I think it tends to le like lean towards duopoly. But this interesting thing about these, all these, right now we're still in the early phases. So it's very hard to make like concrete predictions, but one of the interesting things about supporting multiple languages and the interoperability is the composability aspect of the software. So you may actually see these subgenre of languages still thrive because uh, there's people who um, are making good money and building very useful things in these niche um, languages. So that's one aspect of, um, you know, in the technical backend stuff that I'm still trying to figure out, like, what's happening with the programmers? How are they actually having to deal with stuff? Because that's why I was always wondering. I was thinking, okay, you've got Uniswap, which is this amazing exchange. So how come these things don't just also work on all these other chains, like on, um, you know, uh, Cardano or Solana and stuff? And the reason is because the people over at Uniswap, they can't support 50 things. Like, so mm -hmm. they might support multi, like uh, these L2 solutions like Matic might support uh, multi -chain. Can I have one more uh, white mocha? Yeah. Uh, they might, <laughs> we might have to, uh, version two of our interview, we might not do it at a cafe, but if I'm here, <laughs> might as well get the, the white mocha. Um, yeah, so that's part of the, part of the thing that I've been, I've been trying to like figure out in terms of like how, you know, how did things play out beforehand? How is the nature of Web3 different than Web2 and Web1? What's, what are the similarities that are going to carry over and what are the differences? And one thing that I do think is basically has not changed is 
um, human beings limited ability to support multiple programming languages. So we could still grow the pie in terms of having a larger percentage of the human population, like a larger absolute numbers of programmers. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the you know, so that's that's just where I'm at now. I might change my opinion on that. So, tell me a little bit about um, what is your experience with? Uh, you've been minting, uh, you know, for the audience or whoever else listens. Uh, Kelly is a uh, working musician, and uh, that's why he has such a great recording equipment and uh, has such a beautiful voice. <laughs> uh, I'd recommend where should people like uh, catch your music? Uh, on Instagram at Kelly is not sweet or kellymillermusic.com is my website. Yes. Uh, but so tell me about um, your experience in minting uh, music. So let's let's there, shift to music. Yeah, yeah. There's a few different ways to do it right now. You you can do the things with Audius, which Audius is kind of like Spotify, where you upload a track and they they it streams and people can can listen to it and they pay out right now at least they pay out the top whatever five, ten trending tracks on their website in their audio audio token so you earn audio that way and then people can also download it wait they pay the artist in their tokens yeah uh is there a limit to how much the question is is how is there a limit to how much that's like getting paid in disney bucks right that's the whole concept of crypto which is fine i have no problem with that but understanding the monetary policy of these different token systems is important to me. Mm-hmm. So, cause if you're just going to pay me and then print more in the back, like yes. I need to know like what, what's the dilution rate of, of things. And by a side I'm note, I have, I tried to buy audio uh, tokens yesterday and the, the, the token fees were off the, were like astronomical. On which exchange? Like on, on, um, uh, Ethereum. I had a wallet and I tried uh, to like buy it, and the uh, oh, oh, like using Uniswap or something. Yeah, I think the wallet. I think because Audius, they they're half and half on their um. If I if I understand this correctly, because I heard it on um the one of the founders of Solana, he was on a podcast and he was saying that Audius is uh partly on their governance tokens in ethereum and some aspect of it is on solana and some of it is like the the heart recordings are on are we maybe i'm mm. misunderstanding this but like the governance token is in ethereum so like if it was in solana that would be great then it's cost me nothing to just buy some audios so i'd have to commit like a lot of i can't just buy like 50 dollars for like the audios tokens you can on uh, centralized exchanges like Crypto.com and uh, Binance and um, FTX maybe too. But, but it stays inside their system or what? Well, with centralized exchanges, you buy it and it's you're buying it from like their pool. And then 
you you can transfer it to other wallets. So you have to pay the fee to transfer. Which is still $80, right? So you well, can't hold it in your wallets. Yeah. Unless so, you want to pay the crazy gas fees. Yeah. Yeah. So I only move the ones that I'm going to do something specific with for that purpose, like on that day. Uh, okay. What I think in terms of music and audio NFTs, what's become... <clears throat> possibly more profitable is when people mint their out al their album as an nft or they mint songs as nfts and they make like multiple copies of each one and but then they have to pay the fees to mint uh each each copy and yes you were telling me explain explain what the fees were in the, in so, the different systems yeah, there's like one to one, which is like you make one copy of this and it's the only one there is. Or you can make a collection and mint it as a collection. And depending on how many are in the collection, that kind of changes the minting fees from my understanding right now. <clears throat> so obviously if you're gonna mint on something like OpenSea, uh, which is an Ethereum marketplace, then you have to pay the mint fees in Ethereum. And, and how so, much is it? So for a three minute, you were telling me it also, the, the fee is related to the the size of the file? Yeah, yeah. That's Can why you explain you have, that? Like how much you, is a three minute or four minute song? I don't Re exactly, The most recent one. Uh, the I mean, I don't know exactly like what people are paying per minute or whatever, but I just know in my own personal experience, it costs me about $80 to mint a one minute uh, thing. So, yeah, it was that $80 Ethereum gas fee. That was yeah. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that's the thing. That's the barrier to entry is like... Uh, uh, is the gas fees in my opinion so then i was like can you do this in matic and then come down like because matic is an l2 chain that has nearly you know instantaneous and nearly free whatever less than a penny costs right and so because it's an l2 chain it, it's not on a single ethereum network it comes back down to it so then i was trying to understand okay so this, this part is still very complex to me and I'm still trying to like uh, understand how it works. And I guess the audience, whoever decides to listen, will just go through the learning, the hero's learning journey as we're going through it. But like you're minting the NFT on uh, Audius, which is in the Ethereum network, right? That, well, uh, uh, you can, you can do it. But with Audius, it's like, you're uploading a track exactly like Spotify. But so, where does a track sit? Is it sit on a, like Arweave or Filecoin or something? It, and uh, guessing so, yeah, some cloud-based thing. And with um, with OpenSea, you can put music on. Where is that music sitting? Uh, I have actually. It's it sits in your wallet until you sell it. And, and then how do they, they get, so it's like a single file that's being moved, like an MP3, mm -hmm. and it's not a streaming thing, because to me, that's like a step back. Like, yeah. I don't want to go to 2010, where I had like an iPod filled with 10,000 songs. You want to go, you want to at minimum stay in the 
you know, Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube version where like all the songs available in the world are available at the touch of a fingertip. Mm-hmm. And you want to be like, to me, the promise of um, NFTs for music is that the artist uh, gets control of their royalty rights directly. And so you don't have, it's basically disintermediating, you know, 50 hands, each taking five, 10, 2%, whatever it is. Cause I, I think, I don't know what the exact payout ratio is, but it's something like someone uh, tweeted, you get um, for 1 million listens, some artists on Twitter, I saw he'd said he for like a million listens, he got like $1,500 or something ridiculous, it's three, which is $3,000 per million streams on Spotify. Oh, really? Yeah. That's ridiculous. What is that? Uh, What is that? Like you're getting a fraction of a penny, right? Yeah, it's like 0.00004. That's that's insane. (laughs) Because if the the artist, if if like, let's say I was listening to a a Michael Jackson song and they said, look, every song you listen to, it's a penny. I'm fine with them getting a penny directly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure it's not going to be much more than 10 or 20 bucks a month in fees for me. I'm basically listening unlimited, you know, and, and the artists themselves can, can uh, set their fees at whatever, you know? Yeah. And that's what you can do with Audius. Um, and with like minting royalties, <clears throat> you can set the amount of royalties per, uh, per thing. So you say, this and there's the secondary royalties too so every time it gets sold you can put in like one percent secondary royalties so you make one percent off of every transaction down the line Um, that's amazing uh, which would really that's in open sea that's that's in rareable open sea like a lot of the major oh they're all doing it Mm -hmm. and so with certain nft projects what they're doing is they put those residual royalties into like a DAO and that DAO becomes their fund for doing other projects or the communities can vote on what to do with those funds, like distribute them back to the holders or uh, just use it for marketing purposes or just whatever. And so that's what the projects that I'm involved in that the ones that I like the most are creating these DAOs to either build brand awareness or create a merchandise line to like further increase the brand. Or yeah, that's uh, explain explain what you what idea you had. Uh, you were chatting with me on Discord a little bit about it, like hinting about you were thinking about doing a DAO, and uh, it, you you explain it. Tell me what you were thinking. Um, my idea is to create like an artist collective DAO where everyone who's a part of it are artists and people who want to support those artists. So it would almost be like, I kind of, I kind of love the idea of the ancient Roman times or like Renaissance times where the people who had extra money would pay the artists directly to like oh like patreon yeah Patreon, like that like that 
but Patreon, like uh, who's the family in uh, Venice or whatever the, the Medici some famous Medici's yeah. were like mm-hmm. supporting their artists and yeah some of the greatest works of art in all of human history are from those direct connections yeah yeah and so I kind of want to build this community and and the way that you you build the community around as like a symbol or something and that symbol could be like the very first nft of the DAO, and so i would create okay. like an nft collection symbolizing the DAO, and then everybody who had an nft was a part of the DAO. yeah in the dixon podcast he kind of talks about like it's um because we're with these uh nfts and and DAOs, you might be able to yeah recreate this older system but with internet enabled connections because which means that you can connect with people that you previously but just because they're not physically in your space like if you wanted to hang out with artists uh you're from berkeley or your most recent uh home base has been berkeley uh before istanbul if you wanted to go hang out with artists you had to physically be around the artist to just hopefully to casually bump into them or maybe if you see someone's local show you go and chat them up after or whatever but um dixon was talking about so he's part of some like higher end um like like a nft version of like sotheby's or something like and he mm-hmm. bought some high-end art from some dude and then they started messaging and they became like buddies and he's for him because he's not in that world he's in like the tech world he was saying he's like he was saying from his perspective he derives a ton of um and like uh, entertainment and value from being able to plug into a community of people that are doing something completely different than him and they he finds it really uh he it really enjoys it and yeah. so he's able to uh and it's he was saying how it's not transactional like you're so you're buying someone's art that you really like but and um and and he's a, and that artist is you know reaching out and he's super cool and it's a different kind of uh, experience and so to me i can that um i identify a lot with that because there are um you know, you yourself are an artist and you and I are connecting uh, pre-crypto. Uh, we were just chatting about last year about, you know, what are the, some of the um, ways to get your music out and distribution and all that. And, but in Istanbul, and so you're an artist that I met in, in Istanbul. And there was another artist that I just by chance met and he does these amazing, um, he's a Persian artist. I forgot his name. Uh, I, have, I follow him on Instagram. So a lot of Persian artists, uh, like Iranian artists, are based in Istanbul because, like, of the repressive regime, like the not super open regime in yeah. Iran, right? And so, um, but in Istanbul, they have more freedom. And so he does these uh, Banksy style, like in that genre of like doing like wall art with like messages. You know, he has political messages, and it's not like pure art for art's sake. He's always, and you know, it's this like. Um, you know, commentary on the, the state of man on, you know, 2020 and 2021. And it's amazing art, right? Like, I love it. And uh, uh, a guy like that. And so I wanted to get like a print uh, or uh, something like that. And he was able to promote his stuff via Instagram and maybe sell a little bit, you know, through the, the old channels. But um I think something like this will allow someone who really uh, doesn't want to spend all their time working on distribution to have people uh, buy into their system and, um, you know, 
especially someone like me and you, we, have, uh, you know, I'm a, I travel a lot, so I can't physically take them part with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to own the digital version of it because most of my artistic uh, experiences are digital. Yeah, yeah. And I so. I, that's kind of like the main focus for me is how do we promote like people's art who wouldn't really have means of distribution? And also how do we just create a community where we all want to support each other in a horizontal structure? rather than having it be this vertical structure where there's just like someone who owns the thing and then everybody else works for that person. What I like about the DAO is like no individual person has more power than the others. And and with NFTs, you can get people to hold more of them so they have more votes or whatever but that would be another system that would have to be implemented like okay all of these are owned by this one wallet like let's not give them as many votes you know or something oh you would put into the rules to like limit the concentration yeah i mean uh, they call it anti-whale regulation basically ah, okay, uh, okay. to keep people from just buying a bunch and then having a bunch of votes you know uh, yes okay i mean i think it's good if you put it into the rules in the beginning yeah. um yeah uh, versus retroactive that way people know like and that might uh and then people can make their choices if they're like oh that's a better system because i like it or you know sometimes um systems that are too uh, 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 equal with not enough of the experts controlling it. Like I find some uh, organizations, like I don't want everybody who's on unqualified opinions to have equal votes. I want the guy who actually knows what he's talking about to lead this organization and to have like super majority votes. So like that's in like, um, you know, like there's pros and cons. Hold on one second. Uh, Pardon, can I get the white mocha? Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the um, so like that's kind of the pro for um, uh, what's it called? Uh, why people always love founder-led companies is because the founders sometimes will have a large percentage of the vote, and they have the secondary thing, which is the um, the moral authority to like lead the the group to make like drastic changes. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. I, I definitely think that that's something that's going to have to be worked out individually for each project. Uh, for me, so what do you I think, do, go ahead. Well, the, the biggest thing that I see as a musician is I see the people that I know that are amazing artists or amazing musicians, they have to work so hard to get their music out there because there's so much saturation and then when they do they spend all this time and money recording buying the recording equipment or or just paying some producer to do it and then they just throw it out into this space like throwing a bucket of water into the ocean you know and oh yeah how do you make your stuff stand out and so nfts kind of do a good job of that because you can say look I have this digital representation of my music or I'm a part of this group that everyone's helping each other collectively and like 
people have different skills. Maybe there's people who aren't musicians, but they love music and they want, they have extra money and they're like, let me just throw some money in here and like buy some NFTs to like support the project as a whole. And then, then obviously there would have to be some sort of group uh, deciding which projects get promoted, you know. There was um there was a concept uh that they were floating around in that most recent um Tim Ferriss podcast where they were talking about how um you can use NFTs like let's say you were saying how like artists are just throwing things out there and then they're just hoping for the best. But like okay, so you can say that um a cover band maybe doing some like like a Taylor Swift's like top 10 hottest hits right like she has a built-in audience so if she tells people where she's gonna be she's gonna generate lots of people to come and see her shows but um let's say uh uh you know how they'll have like acoustic versions of like Michael Jackson's song or like someone like you doing with a completely different voice just covering really famous songs and it literally sounds like a completely different thing but because the lyrics are familiar and some of the beats are familiar we already you have like a partially built-in audience because it's so familiar but so different you can like bring people along into almost a different genre um so cover bands and like i find that um people doing other people's music is very uh, i love it like i Whenever I'm making Instagram songs, I almost always um, never have digital rights issues when I like use a recover version of someone's music and the covers are equal or better. Like it's just a yeah. different person's voice. So the thing about like local music is live music to me is always better than recorded music as, as long as the, the artist is good. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what to bring it back to the point I was trying to make is Naval was talking about how you can use and he thinks that like artists can use nfts as tickets to get in so what they could do is they can uh you know sell x number of nfts it could be images or it could be the music or whatever and then you use the nft as uh the ticket like on your phone or whatever to get in and see the live show and so you have this offline uh value and community that's going to start to like happen because of the nft yeah and you would do that and you would make the money rather than having to go through something like Ticketmaster and having to pay all those crazy fees and like you could just make the nfts and then those would be the tickets for your show like you were saying the barrier for that is you you would have to find a way to I think I think the biggest barrier right now is is teaching people how to acquire NFTs, how to get a wallet, how to even get the crypto to buy the NFT. Like there's a whole process. I think it's early days. Yeah, I would include all of that though as part of my project. What I with this idea that I have is like onboarding people into the space and then showing them how to one teach other people to to do it as well and also showing people how this can this can directly uh, like impact the artists that you care about and and as an artist this is directly how you can benefit more than just throwing it up on spotify or any of the streaming platforms 
Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me is um, the notion that like uh, a lot of people on the different podcasts that I've been listening to have really kind of like hit on this point that and it was being made for the last 10 years, which was that um, these social networks that are user generated content, right? We're making all this content for free. Yeah. And at best, you become like whatever, some sort of like YouTube or TikTok star or Instagram star, and then you get some tiny cut, right? So I think one of the best, the better, uh, I think one of the better um, organizations that uh, I just realized I'm like screaming at this cafe, (laughs) get all like jazzed up. Uh, I think one of the better, um, I think one of the better, organizations is like youtube where they even i think they they give 50 percent of the cut to the user to the like person who generated the content it might even be it might be less than that but i know um like to me the whole music industry is like it's not even you don't even have to you it's like less than one percent of the revenue generated from music to me is an atrocity like if you're not getting at least a 50% cut of the thing you made, like there's something wrong with uh, the distribution system. Um, but, uh, but one of the reasons I was always against, I also always chafed against the notion that like people were complaining that like uh, user generated content and like you, like the users were the, were the product and then the advertisers were buying our data and like marketing to us i was like why are people complaining like you're getting facebook for free you don't have to use it like you're getting it for free or like oh like i always the other side of the argument which was like and they're getting you uh, like international video calling for free you know what i mean or Gmail yeah. is free. And so like, I'm like, you don't have effing, you can go pay for a service. So for the last 10 years, that was kind of my position. And then it shifted because um, one, uh, one, it shifted because it became uh, obvious to me that um, it became obvious to me that these companies are making so much money and that we are not actually getting it for free. We're giving away all our valuable stuff for free right? Mm-hmm. Not we're getting this service mm-hmm. for free. That part is basically trivial at this point. Um, and then the fact that NFTs have come around and then you start to, it didn't make sense to me, like how much, where the value is and why the users who are, who are generating all this stuff were not getting anything. So it's not super obvious in the beginning because in the beginning you're like, dude, in, in before YouTube came around, if you wanted people to see your videos, you had to pay the hosting cost. Oh, pardon. Sorry. You had to pay the, uh, you had to pay the, um, you had to pay the uh, server costs and the, and the data costs and all that stuff. And it was free. So that web two revolution was definitely, um, was definitely uh, like a better than the previous version. But then it became so lucrative and we realized that like, oh, it's such a big part of um, people's like livelihood that this model is not great. So It's great for the advertisers, but not for the creators. <laughs> yeah, and advertising has become so efficient that it makes you think that you want to really kind of limit how, how much data these people have on you because 
as much as you think that you control your actions, um, you every everybody is extremely susceptible to like targeted marketing. Like your choices, you don't have enough bandwidth in the day to constantly be thinking about every choice you're making. And so, so much of your choices are going to be, yeah, there's this book uh, by Cass Sunstein called um, Nudge. And it just basically talks about, um, the Google people are very like uh, well-known for that, where they can see just based on doing slight changes. Like if you put um, bottled water at eye level and you put like sugared water, like Coca-Cola or something or whatever, farther away, even though it's still right there, um, if you just make it a little bit harder to get at, it's you'll have like dramatic changes in behavior because like uh, the threshold to change people's behavior is actually much smaller than what you think. Yeah, yeah. Vending machine data talks a lot about that stuff. Who's vending machine data? Like what gets bought based on where things yeah. are placed in the machine and and the the amount as well. Like, are is there if there's more water? than sugary drinks in a vending machine, then obviously the water is going to get sold more. And yeah, so that's, I'm, I'm curious to see how once all this advertising stuff gets into the NFT world, then they start doing targeted marketing for NFTs. And that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, see how, can you explain to me how do you, how you think that might work? Like, I can't understand how targeted marketing and NFTs would work. I mean, the thing about the whole Facebook video was they were doing it through their specific world, through the Oculus Quest goggles and stuff. So if you don't have Oculus Quest, then you're not going to be able to participate in their world. Yeah, and and because the I, one thing that makes me think that um, Facebook is not like with Apple, they're making they can they're obviously just stood up a big uh, advertising division and it's making a ton of money for them. Like they did this like um, bait and switch thing where they, um, you know, I'm not hating on Apple, but they basically were like, we're going to add all these privacy rules to our hardware, and they brought their one billion customers or whatever into this more private system like they just added a lot more privacy to the latest version of their ios and but what it did was then they at the same time so it like kind of boxed out facebook and google and but at the same time they like stood up their own advertising business so it's really just like they're replacing um some of the facebook and google revenue with their own revenue but um when it comes to, but generally speaking, Apple makes like giant margins, like 30, 40% margins on their hardware. So like, they're not, um, they're not like advertising dependent. Right. Uh, whereas Facebook, um, it becomes super obvious to me that, um, Facebook, they're selling their Oculus at like two ninety nine, and they keep trying to drive the price down. So there seem to be where they're trying to get you into their system at the lowest cost that they can which is yes. fine on the surface of it but then it then it obviously means what you know they're going to try to make money in advertising and yeah. so how are they going to make money in, in in the metaverse and then i guess it's like they'll maybe you know when you they made money in the old in web 2 where they watched where you go and then they micro target right and so I wonder if it's just going to be even more of an intimate micro-targeting 
Uh, yeah, because they're going to be able to track every single space you visit. This is what scares me about the Facebook thing and why I don't really like trust it because they're trying yeah. to brand themselves as meta. So they are going to have like that be when people think metaverse, they think of Facebook's metaverse first and none other, none of the other ones. And that's kind of scary to me, but uh, it's going to be up to the people who are creating the spaces then to, to make them able to compete with Facebook in some way. You know, let me let me let's yeah. shift a little bit back to games because I have a question related to uh, music, images, and these games. So when you're when you've been in investi- when you've been investigating these games, have there been opportunities where you thought, okay, you definitely have some opportunity to like dress your characters, right? Aren't there initial? So you have some artistic imprint just in those initial choices on how you dress and design yourself, right? And do you have, uh, explain to me where the artistic differences between people's choices would be in the characters you have and maybe the music and styling in the games. Yeah, I think that's kind of still like a ways off um, from what I've seen just based on, that is probably gonna be a functionality that they include in the games later. Like Alluvium is definitely gonna include that. Explain me, what would they include? The where you have your characters where you can add accessories to them or you can put they don't have them now. And no, not right now. I think uh right now the main thing is Axes kind of has something like that where you you can change their attributes based on the cards you get and that like makes them have different abilities and stuff. Uh, because the whole thing is with NFTs, basically it's like you put in all these different attributes and traits uh, around a certain thing. So uh, in this one, it's a bunch of pigs and the pigs are all like, they have different glasses, they have hats, they might have different skins, like they look like a robot or like a ghost or whatever. They have different clothes. And then so they have- artists in the game of, that work for the company are already pre-building these templates. They already and so you're just them. And, and so then- you're just choosing them. And then how does the value of the NFT go up? It goes up because you've added, you play the game more. Because this is what I'm, I've never played the game and people are describing it. What you you increase the you have to spend 200 just to get into the game right yeah roughly yeah. and or then the you have thing, this base level character that's the thing about the, like, the minting process is all of these different attributes go into like a giant pot and and okay. then they have a thing and it's literally called a candy machine you like pull the lever and out of all these pots of attributes and traits and stuff you get one nft and the rarity of that nft depends on the rarity of the traits in each thing that this combination of traits that you got in your NFT. so the more you spend on traits you can get better you can prepay and, and get better traits no no with nfts it's every single or at least the way that they work right now is you pay a single price like one soul for this nft and then when you press that mint button like 
all the random things come together and poof, you have your NFT. And depending on what that one has in it, it's rare, more rare or less rare based on the attributes. And so- You're talking about like the apes? Like the uh, board apes are randomly yeah. generated. It's not yes. like a pre-written. It's not a pre-drawn um, uh, out character. No, no. They you the artists draw the pieces individually, and they put a certain amount of them into this giant pot. So there might be like fifteen mustaches. Oh, it's like a like, raffle. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. oh, 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 you, oh. Sorry, I misunderstood. It's not a raffle in terms of a completely finished character. It's a raffle in terms of the attributes. Yes, yes. So you have like like the base, and the base is the animal right now. So like like with the pig one, it's like it starts off with the pig, and then they can change. Like they have different skins, they have different hats, different different like things they're holding. Their hooves are like a different. Their nose is different, and so they have different uh, items that they're holding. And certain ones are more rare than others. So the rarity of the NFT is the collection of rare traits that you got in your NFT. And you don't you don't pick those out, you just get them by chance. So you get and then people, once they're printed, once they're minted, it's done. Like yes, that's now a character. That's the only one that's ever going to be made with those specific traits. And so almost like a DNA lottery. Yes, yes. And then with the games, what they're doing is whatever traits you get have different abilities in game, depending on what traits you have. So each character is going to be slightly different because they're all a different combination of traits. And amazing. And so, yeah, that's, and right now that's how it's working, but I see it going further where they're going to be able to add skins and like extra stuff on top of those things that you can pay for in Solana to make them better like your friend who was better at the game because he was paying for the better equipment or he had earned enough in-game currency to uh to pay to pay for those things and the thing about these games is they have their own in-game currency that you earn but with crypto gaming you can take that in-game currency and you can exchange it for real-world currency. Whereas, and like it's right now, and it's not manipulated by yeah, it's not manipulated by the game. Like you can't take like inside Call of Duty. I cannot take my Call of Duty character that I've paid to upgrade or, or built up and then just sell him to. So that's what people are doing. Like the the number is like hundreds of thousands of people in the Philippines are playing these games professionally like leveling them up to a certain level and then flipping them. And so they get, yeah. they get the, they get the return on their time invested after like they invest whatever 200 plus whatever 80 to mint. And then they have these two, $300 characters. They play it for 10 or 20, 50 hours, whatever it is. And then they go and flip it and then they mm -hmm. get money. And people were saying that like they're making 10 or $20 a day extra in terms of like net profit, per day of work, um, which is significant for yeah. people in, um, you know, so when I, when I saw the article that was talking about, um, you know, retired couples in the Philippines and small villages uh, playing Axie Infinity full-time for their like income and they're making 20 bucks a day. 
I was like, what kind of world is this that we're building where in, I'm not saying in a negative way, I think in a positive yeah. way, but it really got my attention, which was like, you've got retired couples or like older couples that barely are connected to the internet in terms of like, but they found like, oh, they're smelling opportunities. So they're like, yeah, I have time. I have 10 hours to play this. Like you don't see older people playing video games, generally speaking, like not at that volume. Because so, they, they don't feel like it, it gains them anything. It's a waste. Of yeah. And here's the thing that really got me uh, to pay attention, which was um, it's super hard for regular people. I'm very connected, you know, I think, uh, to the internet. And I'm always uh, doing things. I'm very net savvy, I think, you know, maybe I'm not as, as I, and it's so hard honestly, to access and do things in crypto. It's still super janky, you know? And so yeah. these people who are super far behind or do, are, despite how difficult and janky it is, they're still doing it. Then that makes me think like, oh, we are, we, you know, we're still in the early days. And like, as it gets less and less janky and less difficult to do it, it's going to uh, catch on to the mainstream in a much bigger way than people think. I yeah. think that's why the insiders are super um, uh, fervent in their enthusiasm because they can see like it's super not working and yet it's still super working. Like yeah. there's so many yeah. things that are broken and everybody still loves it. Uh, Alluvium specifically has their in-game token uh, or their in they have their token, which is like their the way people can invest in the company itself, like a stock. And then that is called ILV. And the value, this game hasn't come out yet. They, they're not, they're not even, uh, they're right now they're doing a raffle for alpha entries, like people who want to okay. be the alpha testers of this game. So they're not even okay. in that space yet. And the value of the token is almost a thousand dollars each. And what you can do is you can stake them exactly like in a DeFi protocol, you stake their things and they give you, by staking your Alluvium, they give you their in-game tokens called SLIV. And then that is going to be distributed to the players uh, when this game actually comes out. So the people who are staking right now and earning this SLIV, when the game comes out, they're going to be able to have an advantage. So right now, one of the NFT projects that I'm a part of has created like a DAO where they're using the NFT sales to facilitate buying this Alluvium and then staking that for the in-game rewards. And then when the game comes out, they also are building a guild, a gaming guild so of players to play like a team like a team and they are literally going to create an esports team from this down oh wow so this is like what's the name the of the dao you're part of it's called waifu dao <laughs> waifu is it chinese no well waifu is like an anime thing where like because they say waifu instead of wife and so like in oh, anime, waifu. waifus oh, okay, okay. are like was... the wife characters the ones that like the characters you you think would make good wives you know so uh, like, okay, okay. The, the profile picture that the nft is exactly like what i was saying they they have a bunch of attributes they throw them all in a pot 
you mint it, you get a combination of specific attributes. But the but the the NFT specifically is really just like your membership card into this okay. guild, into this gaming guild, and and so, then you have to play the game. You don't. Or is have this like to. A, like you can just speculate? Like yeah. you, you can be the bench player and not participate and then you still get the the super bowl ring at the end of the season or whatever maybe and they also they're gonna they're splitting it up into like research groups people who are researching other games that they can expand into they have uh, people talking about like trading crypto trading nft projects and there, it's this guy and he he was the one who started it but he's basically starting to build this gaming brand this like esports brand in yeah. alluvium that hasn't even come out yet <laughs> so interesting you know the thing is is like i'm sure there's a lot of bubbles and i'm sure a lot of these things will fizzle out and and whatever uh, i'm sure there's a lot of like uh, uh what do they call it pyramid schemes and scams and like rug pulling events so like dude that's like a big thing like i'm positive there's a lot of that i don't know what percentage of it is but it's obviously a lot it's right that we're at the frontier it's the wild west so there's no yeah. rules and people are doing all kinds of things but when people scoff at the idea that some of these things are going to go for xyz prices i'm like well if you look at human behavior a big percentage of our money is spent on this like if you just compare nft market sales and, and prices and things to how much money is in regular gaming right now like uh you know tens of billions hundreds of billions even like with if you include like the xbox and all the online video games roblox is like, like worth 40 billion on the stock market like there's like hundreds of billions of dollars in video games if not a trillion dollars plus um Plus, like, the aspect of people just watching other people play video games, like, on Twitch yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So esports the is a e big thing. Yeah. And then you think about, well, how much money is spent in other aspects of human entertainment, right? When you look in the real world at, like, NASCAR or the NFL or XYZ entertainment, and there's so many dimensions of human entertainment that um, uh, is co- – could be replicated or replaced inside the uh, the metasphere, whatever we're building, yep. and um, it's still super small because and and people you uh, you know I think people of a certain generation and like a certain like level of like mental plasticity, our brains are like locked into the you know uh, what what we find normal is also a function of like what era you come up in, whereas uh, I'm talking to my cousins and stuff who are like much younger. And um, I remember having this conversation with my cousin, she was 18 and this was a couple of years ago. And she was talking about um, some girl she had met on the internet and how she's her best friend. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like, like, what did you guys do? And she was like, Oh, we've never met. It was purely on the internet. And it's like, she's the most important person in my life and all this stuff. And I was like, that's I was I was arguing with her I was very argumentative and like scoffing like her older cousin I was like that's ridiculous that's like impossible like and then I just thought it was really dumb it like really for whatever reason my reaction was super negative like there's not that's not real right and then over time I've become I've come around to it to the to the opinion that um 
if you're, uh, I think, and I'm, you know, I'm sure like people who experts in this stuff um, would have better opinions on it. And there probably be, has not been enough, nearly enough research on it, which is like, when you're younger, your brain is so much more plastic and what's real to you, it, um, um, it's probably, uh, we, you know, because we get like more like um, sclerotic in our heads and what we perceive as reality is like more fixed, I think, as we get older. Uh, but I think you're more open to, uh, your imagination is like more open to, um, it feels very real, the internet, when you're younger. And at that younger ages, um, the quality of the internet has gone up so much that the yeah. perception, you know, and I think that's where we're heading to with like AR, VR, which is, uh, you know, how much of what we experience, like that's the whole like Pokemon Go, it's like augmented reality, but through like a, you know, like, you know, four inch phone or like three inch phone. Um, and so you're in the real world, but there's AR behind you. Um, and obviously if you put it on your glasses or your contacts, that's going to be like that Terminator view kind of AR where like, uh, you know, Google glasses back in the day was like that, that idea. Yeah. But um, Mark Andreessen was saying um, that uh, he believes that Ready Player One, like that movie, and that whole concept of people spending so much of their time in the VR world, in the metaverse, he thinks VR is going to be like, he, he gave the number a couple of years ago on a podcast, basically saying he thinks that uh, the VR world or metaverse is 10 times bigger than the AR world because, and from people like me, I'm like, dude, no, everybody wants to be in the real world. Uh, but he was saying that for a select group of people who are building the technology and of a certain like status in society, like your, your perception of what the real world is extremely skewed because you're only gallivanting around the most beautiful cities in the world, right? Like you and I right now are in Istanbul. We're like a mile apart from each other. You're in Besiktas. I'm in Ashantashe. And we're purposely positioning ourselves in the most beautiful parts of this most beautiful cities in the world, right? You were in Berkeley, which is like well-renowned for like most beautiful corner of America, right? And so how many people, there's still billions of people out there. And the point that our market recently was making was that the real world is extremely ugly sometimes for most people. He was like, they're not in the majority of the populations of the world that will be on the internet. They're going to be in like slums in tier three cities in China and Africa and India and South America and stuff, the majority of the population of the world are not sitting in, you know, the San Francisco Bay area or in Manhattan or, you know, the center parts of Istanbul and stuff. So from his perspective, the populations that are going to find the metaverse much more entertaining, entertaining and beautiful is actually going to be much higher. And on the, and so if you see in that movie in the, in that ready player one, it's got that like dystopian, um, like he's in like a, you know he's that is extremely yeah. yeah but like in like a, it's not like a trailer skyscraper or something it was like it was a, like a stack story. of trailers yeah 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 it was like a like an American slum basically um, yeah. uh, which you know so from that perspective and and this guy is you know the guy who invented like web browser basically ushered in the modern consumer internet. Like he's been consistently right on a lot of things. And, and his argument actually makes a ton of sense to me because I've traveled like to uh, nice places and rough places all over the planet. And 
there is an element of yes of course if you're it's not specifically to income like if you're uh in rural kashmir and you're looking at the most beautiful mountain passes in the world maybe the real world is even if you're poor like the real world is much more beautiful and interesting but like um so anyways uh we, we run out of time <laughs> i uh i would like to give you the final note what are the things that you're the most interested in uh, and give us a hint of like what you're studying and so for the next time we chat we can we can cover some of the things that have like piqued your interest on on your nft journey i think uh i'm kind of right now trying to narrow down my focus because there's so many things so i'm i'm focusing on a few of the the gaming ones that I think really have potential like Alluvium and the strategy ones, Zolana, just because I like strategy games. And then also uh, the ones that are having a unique function to them. Like there's this one called Skull Division, which uh, is going to do <clears throat> NFT pairing where you you have like a, an NFT project, NFT, like one of the big ones like Solana Monkeys or thug birds or grim syndicate or something and you can pair it with their skull divisions to create a new one and turn that into something else and then you can lock that away for like to make it more rare and uh, that's just a unique idea so I'm, I'm trying to learn more about that space and then also understanding uh how things outside of crypto gaming because i think that's a cool space but it's one one at facet and so also thinking about the ones that are bridging things together like the polka dot ecosystem or or the oracles as well i think oracles could be used in a ton of things like insurance huh. but it could be really good so i wanted to learn and more then about we all that. got we all got a we all have to participate in the real world. Things have to get, you know, things have to get insured. 